Let's go to God in prayer before we open up the book of Jonah. God, we thank you for a day like today uh, where we can come um, devote a day to your service, to your worship, uh, to your people, for a time and a place where we can come and gather, and we're thankful for a place where we can do it here without fear. We are mindful of so many across this world that don't have that same luxury or that same freedom. I pray that we would be um, aware of what it is that we have. We wouldn't take it for granted, and that we would seek out ways to engage uh, you, your spirit, your transforming power. That we would find ways to edify and encourage and strengthen one another as we worship you, the creator of the universe our Father, and our Redeemer. pray that you would be with us in these next few moments as we open your word, that you would uh, be near, that we would be still. The things that typically would stand in the way of our understanding, of our embracing what it is that you would have us to learn this evening, I pray that those things would be removed and that we would just be available to you. And I pray that as we leave this place, we will remain available to you, to be led by your Spirit, to be changed by your Son, empowered and emboldened by the gospel that brings us life. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> well, we're going to be looking at Jonah here for the next four weeks or so. <clears throat> It's called, uh, you know, runaway, the runaway. Because when you think of Jonah, that's typically what you think, right? The prophet that ran. <clears throat> um, let's read uh, the first chapter, really, um, of Jonah. We're going to read through. We, we won't read 17. 17 is a part of next week's lesson as it kind of trans- transfers there into uh, a chapter 2. But let's read chapter 1, this Introductory passage of Jonah as we are introduced to this prophet. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their wickedness has confronted me. However, Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish. Say that five times fast, Tarshish. Um, Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. Then the Lord hurled a violent wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel, and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. The captain approached him and said, What are you doing? Sound asleep. Get up and call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. Come on, the sailors said to each other. Let's cast lots and then we'll know who is to blame for this trouble we're in. And so they cast lots. And the lot singled out Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us who is to blame for this trouble we're in. What is your business and where are you from? What is your country and what people are you from? 
And he answered them, I am a Hebrew. I worship Yahweh, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men were even more afraid and said to him, What is this you've done? The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them so. And so they said to him, What should we do to you to calm this sea that's against us? For the sea was getting worse. He answered, Pick me up and throw me into the sea so that it may quiet down for you. For I know that I am to blame for this violent storm that's against you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. And so they called out to the Lord, Please, Yahweh, don't let us perish because of this man's life, and don't charge us with innocent blood. For you, Yahweh, have done just as you pleased. And they picked Jonah up and threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. The men feared the Lord even more, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And so here is Jonah, uh, the runaway prophet. And, you know, and there's a, a lot of times I think Jonah is someone you can really um, identify with. Uh, you can identify with it because there are a lot of things that God asks us to do that we don't want to do. Uh, and I think a lot of times it's easy to identify with Jonah because we can say, look, one thing I have never done is I have never turned tail and run away from God. Um, intentionally, boldly, completely done the opposite of what I knew with, beyond a shadow of a doubt what God was asking me to do. And so we can both take, we can take comfort both in the fact that here is Jonah who ran away, and we understand that you know he's a human and he has those things. He was given something he didn't want to do, and we understand that about him. But at the same time, it makes us feel better because at least we didn't respond that way. And if God still used Jonah, then he can still use me. But maybe we're not as... Maybe we're not as far removed from being like Jonah as we think we are. Because in our minds, to to run away is is just what Jonah did, right? He went, and he went exactly the opposite direction. He said, go to Nineveh, and Jonah went to Tarshish. He could not have gone farther away from where God asked him to go. But running away from what God has asked you to do is not always literally running away. Because even though it may not seem as bold, it may not seem as emblazoned, it may not seem as confrontational and in-your-face defiant, avoidance is the same as running away. That if I know what God has called me to do, and I know where He has called me to go, and I just avoid it, I may as well be running away. It may be, avoidance may be more dangerous, because we can fool ourselves into thinking we're okay if we're just God's will adjacent, instead of God's will opposed. But neither are in line with God's will. My life has been full 
of God's call, avoidance. And it's not so much an avoidance as a, okay, God, I hear you, and and I'm going to follow your will, but I want to follow your will my way. I spent 12 years trying to follow God's will my way. Uh, And I I had a friend of mine when, um, I guess for about the last seven years that I was working in the secular world, I was preaching for a, for a nursing home, and we enjoyed that. We enjoyed that ministry. It gave me a chance to do what I really loved to do, and what I really believed God had created me to do and called me to do. And we were able to help a few small little churches here and there, and when we traveled, we were able to help little churches that we would visit. Um, and ultimately, what we really knew was that God had called us to something different. That even though I was serving the kingdom in some capacity, I was not living up to the real call that God had placed in my heart and on my life, really from the time I was a teenager. And I was so grateful so grateful to get a call. I, it was, he was a good friend of mine. He had been a minister for a long time. And I can't tell you the joy that filled my heart when he told me. He said, Josh, you don't have to take a vow of poverty to be a preacher. He goes, in fact, if you were to leave your job today and go work for a church, I would not take a pay cut. I can have my cake and eat it too, baby. I can have the best of both worlds. I don't have to sacrifice this nice income that we've developed here in this job that's allowed um, Heather to not have to work outside the home to do the things that she needed and wanted to do to raise our children the way she wanted to. We had the ability to buy a new home, new cars. We had all the food we wanted and then some. We always had new clothes. We had everything we needed and almost everything we wanted. I didn't have to give that up to go work for the church. (laughs) Okay. So maybe I can do what God has called me to do and not sacrifice anything. Well, two things. He didn't know what I made. (laughs) And there wasn't any church in any position to hire a 25-year-old man with no experience and no education, having never worked for a church before. They were in no position to pay me what I was making, selling service. And so that dream came to a screeching halt after about one interview (laughs) when when the church interview committee literally laughed when I told them what we needed. And so we spent more time doing God's will my way. Until the challenge got increasingly more difficult. And it seemed that over time, God was continuing to say, if you're going to continue to try to do my will your way, it's going to continue to cost you more and more and more. And 
And after spending two years in school, living on whatever you can make doing in-home daycare, and whatever you can make catching odd jobs doing some tile work for a good friend who was gracious enough to employ you when he didn't need any help at all. Uh, you realize there is a great difference in what I need and what I want. And your mind begins to be reshaped in a different way. And we finally came to a point where God said, if you will do my will my way, the things that will come into your life are things that you never dreamed. You never even knew you were lacking until they were fulfilled in that way. You see, in a, for me, for a long time, I thought I was okay. And I'm not saying that we were you know, on, a, on a raw path, but what we weren't doing is we weren't doing what God had called us to do. And we knew in our hearts that God had called us to do something more. but we were running a little afoul of what God had asked. We're running away. Just wanted it my way. I can accomplish his ends in my way. And that's just not good enough. That's not what we are called to be as people. So let me encourage you with this as you move about your life. Don't try to outrun God's purpose for your life. Not only is it futile, but it will cost you. And not only will it cost you, it will cost the people around you. Sometimes we don't even realize the price we are paying. It got to a point for me where I was literally working 70 to 75 hours a week. And the requirement to stay in the job that I was in was going to require me 10 more hours of commute time a week. That's insane. That's insane. You know what's even more insane? is I consider taking it. I consider taking it. I wasn't real sure what my wife's response was going to be when I came home and told her that I quit. Um, I didn't tell her that I quit because I didn't exactly quit. I just left. Um, they said, take two days. I said, I don't think I need two days. And they said, take two days. Um, and I went home at 2 o'clock in the afternoon um, and we talked about it, and the question wasn't, so when are you going back to work? The question was, so what are we doing next? Um, that's not really the response I expected to have, because it came on us so quickly and so abruptly. What are we going to do next? Well, next, we're going to do probably what we should have done a long time ago. And we're going to put ourselves in a position uh, to work full-time for a church somewhere. Again, I had my way. 
I had my place. I had the environment. I, it was perfect the way it was all going to work out, and it was still going to be just hunky-dory. I didn't want to go north. I didn't want to do youth ministry. And we went north to do youth ministry. <laughs> it's funny how that works, isn't it? The way God brings you to a place of humility and awareness of really what he has in mind for you. And here is Jonah. He's commanded to go to Nineveh. And I can understand why he doesn't want to go to Nineveh. These are evil people. These are evil people. This would be much similar to someone saying to you, I want you to go to Iraq a year after 9-11 occurs. And I want you to preach to the Taliban. And I want you to convert them. And I want you to tell them that God wants them. <laughs> Anybody but those people, God. Don't, don't send me to Osama bin Laden's house and ask me to convert him. I'll bring him to SEAL Team 6, but I'm not going to bring him to Jesus. Like this, this is the people that God has called Jonah to, right? They are wicked, they are evil, they are, they are, they are torturous. These are the people responsible for the captivity of Israel. Notorious for these kinds of tactics. And Jonah says, you want me to go where and talk to who about what? I'm going the other way. But the thing about running away from God's purposes is that it always leads to unintended, unintended consequences. And it always leads to regret, even when... Even when the task seems as daunting as the one Jonah is given. Even when it is something as huge and massive that we just simply don't understand. Whenever we avoid the purposes that God has laid out, there are things that we can't ever see coming about. And, and for Jonah, instead of obediently following this command, Look, I don't know, I, I wish it told us how much this fare cost, but this was not a cheap fare. I mean, it wasn't like he just hopped a taxi and went across town. He went all the way to the west side, or was going all the way to the west side of Gibraltar. This would have been a massive sum of money that he would have had to pay to get on this ship and to get on at a last minute with a crew that he doesn't know. You ever tried to book a flight? somewhere last minute when you're booking something last minute it's like the the, the, the airlines go <laughs> you don't have any options i'll take your money and that flight that would cost you 125 dollars on any given day all of a sudden costs you five he pays this sum of money to go anywhere except nineveh and you know, as soon as that first crack of thunder hits, Jonah's going, oh, he found me. How bad's this going to get before they find me? Maybe if I go down into the base of the ship, at least if the ship goes down, we're all going down, and I'll be asleep when it goes. Or if I go down here, here they'll forget that I'm here, and maybe, maybe they won't realize that I'm the cause of all this. Because that's the way our conscience works. It's dangerous for the sailors. They lost cargo. They start, 
I mean, what's Jonah thinking? I, I mean, all this stuff that they're supposed to transport to another place because of Jonah, they're tossing it into the sea. How, how does Jonah not go, don't stop, just don't ruin your livelihood, it's me. Consequences for everyone involved. There's an island in, a, in an, the inland sea of Japan. The island is called uh, Okunishima Island. And before World War II, it was a little fishing island. And there were three or four fishermen that lived out there. Um, during World War II, they built chemical warfare plants on this island. Um, and in order to test the chemical weapons, they brought in rabbits to see how the chemicals would affect the rabbits. Um, after World War II, the chemical plants were shut down. There's still remnants of them around. Uh, but they released the rabbits into the wild. Rabbits did not exist on this island until then. Um, now that island is uninhabitable because of the rabbits that are there. It's a park, and not only is it a park, it's a tourist attraction where you can come to the island, I think it's called Rabbit Island, where there are hundreds of rabbits, which doesn't seem like, a much, like many, but when you see how small this island is, it is a massive amount of rabbits. Um, there's birds in Central Park um, that they're having trouble getting rid of. Somebody brought them in. They weren't native to the area, and they destroy the park. And now they've uh, reproduced, and they've, they've grown to this place, and they're a, they're a nightmare to keep tabs on because they don't belong there. And it's not that anyone intended to cause damage or anyone intended to isolate this island in Japan. But there are things that our actions have that bring consequences that we didn't imagine. When we run afoul of God's will, there are some consequences we can anticipate, but there are many that we don't ever even realize come about. And there are ways that it affects the people around us that we can't even begin to imagine until often we're looking back on it and realizing how people paid that price. But here's the other thing about the storm that comes about and brings this. Not only is it this consequence, if you will, for Jonah's action, but the storm is an act of grace. Um, it is an act of the grace of God that this storm comes about. And that doesn't seem right, right? Especially when you think about our own lives and how storms work. How in the world can a storm be an act of grace? Well, God sends this storm for one purpose, and it's not punitive. All right? He's not punishing Jonah. He's not punishing the crew for bringing about Jonah. He's sending the storm to reroute Jonah. <laughs> like, I know you went west and you meant to go east. The storm brings Jonah back in line. The crew is frightened. We see in verse 5 as they are hoping to withstand the waves, they're getting rid of the cargo. Um, Jonah's rebellion has cost the sailors their, sailors their cargo, their livelihoods, and their lives are at stake. But even though all of this is going on, in the midst of this turmoil, we find Jonah. And where do we find Jonah? He's asleep. He's asleep. He's hiding in the belly of the ship. 
And when Jonah finally begins to admit his true identity and his true calling, I mean, this is intriguing to me. When he tells the sailors who his God is, they're like, whoa, you said you were running away from your God. You didn't say your God was Yahweh. We've heard of that God. You'd have told us who your God was. We never would have allowed you on this ship. What have you done, is their question, to bring about the wrath of your God? Verse 12, Jonah offers his own life for the safety of the crew. And we see the redemptive nature of this narrative begin to take form. That first, it begins with Jonah as he sacrifices himself for the lives of the crew. And he's going to take them to, he's going to be sent to a place where he will begin preaching the redemptive message of God to the people of Nineveh. And so we have this storm as an act of grace that God commands the seas, and the seas obediently thwart the reluctant prophet from running away from his call. And I think that's the way God uses storms in our lives. As Christians, there are these storms that come about, and and they are allowed because they keep us or redirect us, right? It's easy for us to say that, or see that, or think that we are being punished for something when these things come about. But for God and his people, it's not about punishment, it's about correction. Most of the time, it's about course correction. That there are some storms that, that generally, at times, are consequences of things that we have done so much, so many times, God uses those to bring us back into line with his will and his way. There is no punishment for us there. Grace, forgiveness, and redemption, and the storms that God allows to come are always for our good. And he uses them for his purpose. He doesn't create them. He doesn't cause them. But he uses them. And the question becomes, will we allow him to use them to fulfill his purpose? Because the truth is, his purpose will always be fulfilled. He will work through your faithfulness. And he will work through your rebellion. But his purpose will be fulfilled. With no other options here in chapter 1, the sailors throw Jonah overboard. And immediately the seas become calm. And at once the sailors begin to worship and offer sacrifices to the God of Jonah. And even in the middle of his rebellion, even in this moment, in his direct rebellion, Jonah is still used by God to bring a message of salvation to the sailors on the ship. To come to know to an even greater degree who God is. And look, we can spend our lives doing the same thing. We can spend our lives running. We can spend our lives avoiding. We can spend our lives trying to make God's will fit in our box. 
We can live a life of rebellion. We can live a life of faithfulness. For God's purpose, it doesn't matter. The only thing that's changed in either of those two situations is you and me. The end will be accomplished. The victory will be obtained. The question is, will you be a part of it? Or will you be fighting against it? It's a hard it's a hard thing. It's a hard life to choose. It's fulfilling. Um, in, in the end, you know, we see where it leads. Even in the moment, frequently, we see the good in it. But it's not the easiest path. The path requires sacrifice. It requires selflessness. It requires us to live in a way that is so counter to the culture in which we live. It's challenging. It's the call that we've been given. And we can choose the life that Jonah chose or the path that Jonah chose. We can choose to move away from God's will. Or we can choose to be the kind of Christians that strive to be in line with God's will day after day after day. To submit to his calling to surrender to his calling and to follow where the Spirit leads.